and welcome to Peak Health with Dr. Gupta. This show is for those who want to optimize their health, maximize their genetic potential, and have some fun along the way. If you like our show and want to learn more, please visit our website at peakwellnesshealth.com, which is linked in the show notes below. Here you can gain access to a 10-day body reset module, which teaches you about diet, sleep, meditation, exercise, and guides you on how to drop your blood glucose, blood pressure, body fat, and improve your biomarkers all in 10 days. Also a body optimization module, which teaches you how to lose fat and build muscle. Finally, there's a link to get one-on-one consulting with me. In today's episode, we're going to discuss something we all do, or should at least do for a third of our lives, sleep. This is the second in our series on this topic. The first covers sleep hygiene and some natural tips and tricks that you can do to achieve better sleep. This episode is an advanced one where we discuss what happens if those modifications and suggestions don't work. We'll learn about sleep apnea and a bunch of other fun things. To guide us through this, today we have Dr. Ali Maxidi. Ali is a good friend of mine and specializes in sleep medicine, as well as general nuclear and preventative cardiology. He's board certified in sleep medicine and cardiovascular disease, and he currently works for Virginia Heart. Ali and I have known each other for a number of years and also are a part of a mastermind group where we discuss medicine, current events, and just have fun. If you haven't heard of a mastermind before, please look it up. It's a great way to use everyone's collective intelligence for a higher purpose. So welcome, Ali. Thank you, Ravi. That's a great, uh, you know, that's, that was a very wonderful introduction. You know, great to be here. But I yeah. want to just say, we, we, we've known each other a little bit more than a few years. I think we've known each other since early 1990s, so, uh, yes. <laughs> which yes, means we're getting many, a little old. <laughs> yes, yes. Many, many years I've, I've known Ali. I, I remember you back in the day. We had, a, we had a lot of fun back then, and it's, it's been great growing up and knowing you as we've developed our careers. Um, and uh, today, I'm happy to have you discussing sleep. So we'll start off with some simple questions. What is a sleep study? Um, and this is what people will likely need if, you know, the standard behavioral type therapies don't work. They need a sleep study. So what is that? And why would somebody need a sleep study? Sure. So a sleep study, basically, there are two types of studies. Um, there is home sleep study, and there is actually a sleep study that you go and spend the night in the lab. And they, in the lab, they record you, they do video recording, they base, you know, they put a variety of electrodes on your head and scalp, they look at your brain activity. Uh, they also assess your respiratory pattern, your oxygen saturation, which is the level of oxygen in your body. They look at your uh, limbs, uh, your limb movements, and they look at the your uh, respiratory pattern and your muscle movement of your thoracic and abdominal cavity. And based on that, there are criteria they look at, they um, usually the purpose of a sleep study is to assess whether you have obstructive sleep apnea. And there are a variety of criteria that they use to diagnose you with sleep apnea. There are other indications for uh, for a sleep study, if you're worried about restless leg syndrome, if you're worried about parasomnias, those are the patients who act during their sleep. You know, if you're worried about some type of seizure disorders that happen during sleep, but there are different protocols that you can use. But that's really the main purpose in general of a sleep study to diagnose you with obstructive sleep apnea or central apnea. The home sleep study has advanced dramatically in the past several years. The technology has advanced and it's actually very convenient 
for the patients. It's um, it's not as extensive and doesn't give you as much as information as an in-house sleep study, but basically it's a device that you put it on yourself and the device detects how much you know how much sleep apnea you have and whether you have any episodes of apnea or hypopnea during sleep. Excellent. So the first step if you decide or determine that you need to get a sleep study, which you know some of the signs symptoms obviously would be just having difficulty falling asleep, not having restful sleep, um, snoring or having apneic periods while you're while you're sleeping, then you would see someone like you to get set up for the study is that is that yeah, well, you know or or a primary care physicians as well as you know historically as a medical profession we have undervalued sleep so this was not something that the doctors would really look into it and i i'm not really sure about the reason why but one was that we didn't really know the value of the sleep uh, number two was that residency programs you just did not you were not supposed to get sleep. You were just supposed to function nonstop without sleep. And if you basically told your residency supervisor that, oh, I made a mistake and I was sleepy, they would just laugh at you. So historically, the physicians grew up in this culture that, you know, we need to be functioning on our maximum level, on our top performance, even if we're sleepy. So we kind of grew up in this environment that we didn't really care much about sleep. And um, about 10 years ago, multiple, multiple studies came out that said, um, you know, the value of the sleep, you know, the sleep is important, uh, important to diagnose obstructive sleep apnea. It's important to get enough sleep. Uh, a field of sleep medicine was born. Um, now you actually have to do a fellowship in um, in sleep medicine. So it's more structured, it's board certification. Um, so this is really how the system evolved. But if you're worried about sleep apnea and you think that you might have some element of obstructive sleep apnea or other sleep disorders, uh, usually your primary care physician should be able to start that process. And uh, you can also see a sleep physician as well. Yeah. It's it's funny that you mentioned that about our training, because I clearly remember not getting sleep and staying up throughout the night was like a badge of honor, right? You're just like, oh yes, you know, I don't need sleep. I can actually function and take care of patients and do what I need to do without any sleep. And that's how we were all trained. And we, we almost project that on our patients, like, Hey, look, you know, you, you shouldn't, you don't need to sleep. But as, just as you mentioned, the more we're studying this, the more we realize it's so important to get a, a good restful night's sleep. And it sets you up for success in so many ways. Um, not only does it help prevent some of the diseases we're going to talk about in a little bit, but then you just in general feel better. You function better. Your mind is clear. Um, and you also tend to eat a lot more when you're sleepy, you eat a lot more carbohydrates, you gain a lot more weight when you don't get enough rest. So, I mean, so many, so many benefits. So going back to the, the sleep study now, uh, you mentioned obstructive sleep apnea. Uh, what, what is obstructive sleep apnea exactly? Yeah. So obstructive sleep apnea basically is, um, in layman term is that when you sleep, you basically stop breathing or you have shallow breathing and your oxygen level goes down. Um, that's pretty much the basic term for sleep apnea. So for example, like in middle East, you know, and, and this is very common, 
Um, this is underdiagnosed. You look at every study, they say, uh, they say basically look for sleep apnea. The problem is that about 50% of the patients, they, they can have clinically significant sleep apnea, but they don't have much symptoms. And it's important to look into these things. Uh, for example, previously, you know, 10 years ago, maybe I would see a patient with on three medications for the blood pressures. I would do this workup and always check for zebras. Now, now the first thing that I do is check for sleep apnea. So, so we've become more educated about sleep apnea. We've become more, um, you know, we know what to look for. But that's one of the main things that we see. There is a huge population of patients in sleep apnea, especially in cardiology clinic, um, who have undiagnosed sleep apnea. And it's really, you know, it's, it's really the primary care physicians or cardiologists who diagnose these patients. So you're saying sleep apnea could lead to other complications like high blood pressure. Yes, absolutely. So high blood pressures, arrhythmias, it can worsen congestive heart failure. Um, it can cause lack of concentration. It can actually exacerbate attention deficit disorder. It can exacerbate your depression or anxiety. It can cause erectile dysfunction. So, so these all can be a manifestation of um, untreated obstructive sleep apnea. And, um, you know, the, the classic is when our partners are sleeping next to us, pushing us like, hey, wake up, you're making too much noise, you're snoring way too loud. That's like the classic thing you hear. I mean, how, how, do you, how does one diagnose this um, or yeah, so, consider this diagnosis? Yeah, good question. So, you know, so it's interesting because in, cult, in some cultures, like snoring is good. You know, it's like, oh, he's snoring, he's really enjoying his sleep. You know, <laughs> I think actually like they... You know, I, I read somewhere, I, I might be mistaking, but they say like the first um, description of the, um, you know, of uh, sleep apnea was in one of the Charles Dickens uh, uh, book, you know, the Pickwickian, um, you know, syndrome has been described in Charles Dickens. So in some cultures, actually like snoring is considered, oh, healthy. Oh, he's really enjoying his sleep. He's snoring. and But a lot of times actually the, significant others report this. They say this gentleman snores, you know, stops breathing. I get worried. I have to shake him up. So a lot of our patients who come in, actually the, the significant other starts the whole process. You know, she's the one who complains of snoring. Lot, you know, in, in lots of patients that we see in cardiology clinic, like first onset of arrhythmia, such as atrial fibrillation, we immediately think of obstructive sleep apnea. And also clearly has shown that in people with heart failure, you know, if you treat the sleep apnea, uh, the incidence of heart failure decreases. So uh, we have a variety of conditions in the cardiology clinic um, when the untreated sleep apnea actually exacerbates the problem. Interesting. So, and what, yeah. what causes sleep apnea? We all know, you know, uh, obesity is related to sleep apnea. And we were discussing this prior to the, this episode where, you know, classically, People with an enlarged neck circumference get this diagnosis because that puts pressure on your trachea. And your trachea is, in fact, while you're sleeping, it's it's quite narrow. People don't realize how narrow your trachea gets when you do sleep. And then when you are uh, when you know when you have that excess weight, it does it can compress that. But um, what are the other types of things that can cause it? Yeah. So classically, um, we you know neck neck circumference can 
basically increases your risk of obstructive sleep apnea. So what happens is that you have the trachea, which is this small tool. And when you're sleeping, all of this tissue in the back of your throat kind of falls and partially obstructs your airway. So imagine like if you go and if you're sleeping and I come to your bed and every one minute I just choke you and basically and I choke you and then I let it go and I choke you and let it go. And this is pretty much what's happening in these patients. Um, it all, you know, there's also the anatomy and the jaw structure. So there's a huge um, incidence. I mean, there's a high incidence of obstructive sleep apnea in Middle Eastern population. And those patients are not necessarily obese. It's just the jaw structures. Uh, if you have a protruded jaw, it increases your risk of obstructive sleep apnea. Same thing with like with Asians. You know, when we see um, Asian population in our clinic, a lot of them they have a low body mass index, but because of their jaw structures, they have sleep apnea. So uh, there is a little bit of an art component involved. You can't just really go by, by the whole neck circumference. You know, there are people. You know, there are patients because of their jaw structures, they have sleep apnea. Okay, so so there's some anatomical reasons. Um, what about as you age? Or is that a risk factor? So it, it is. So let's say like I have a sleep study. Okay. I have a sleep study and, um, you know, I stop breathing like five times per hour and I maintain the same body weight and we repeat this sleep study 10 years or 20 years down the road, either male or females. What happens that the, you know, the degree of sleep apnea worsens. And the reason for that is that when we age, you know, we lose muscle tone, you know, testosterone level goes down, estrogen goes down, you know, muscle tone decreases. And, and a lot of these collapsed airway depends on the muscle tissue and how rigid it is. So usually with age, the degree of sleep apnea increases. Also other things can cause your, can exacerbate sleep apnea. Like let's say you have mild sleep apnea and I suddenly make you drink, um, for alcoholic beverages, pretty much your sleep apnea on that day is going to be worsened. So it is a little bit of a dynamic process as well. You know, it depends on how much alcohol, for example, you have. There is a positional component involved as well in a lot of patients. So if you're sleeping on your back, uh, most likely your sleep apnea will worsen, you know, but if you sleep on your right or left or on your stomach, you know, probably the degree of sleep apnea improves. Um, and it also depends on the weight too. For example, if you suddenly, if you have a borderline sleep apnea and you gain 20 pounds, um, you know, your, your, your borderline sleep apnea probably is now clinically significant. You know, it's, it's funny you mentioned the, or we discussed the age part because I was on a trip relatively recently with a couple of friends who, you know, quite well. Um, and I was on a, I was on a trip with them 12 years ago and uh, we shared a room back then and we decided, Hey, let's, let's try this again. 12 years later, we're going, we're on this trip. We share a room and none of us could sleep because who, <laughs> Whoever fell asleep first would start snoring and and keep the other ones awake. <laughs> and the and the, the we didn't differ except for maybe one of them. We didn't have too much more body weight, but uh, it was it was you know like we were that much older. You guys didn't uh, party yeah. too much those nights, huh? Yeah, yeah and, and the alcohol may have played a role. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a possibility. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, now that you mention that, um, so when you okay, so and I could see people being 
frightened or scared of like, hey, look, I've got this, I potentially may have this condition, I'm snoring a lot. Um, I, I don't want to, you know, get, I, I don't, I'm scared of what will happen because all people think about is, are those the BiPAP or CPAP masks? Yeah. And they see those and they're like, I don't want that. I'm not even going to go in for the sleep study. But what you're saying is, um, hey, look, it could be positional. There could be other modalities of treatment. Yeah. So, you know, uh, I mean, everybody, when they see CPAP or BiPAP, they, they, they get a little bit hesitant. Um, you know, they think it's not romantic. Sometimes people get claustrophobic. Uh, and actually, if you look at our clinic or any clinic, out of 100 patients, 50% love their CPAP. They can't, they can't really live without them. Those are the patients who have a lot of fatigue and tiredness. And, and those are the ones who actually are going to be very compliant because you immediately see after like the first CPAP titration or the first sleep study, they say, oh my God, that was wonderful. That was amazing. You know, you know that patient is going to be very compliant because it feels so good. But then 25% of our patients, you know, they hate it. They absolutely hate it. You know, they can't stand it. And 25% of our patients, they don't love it. They don't hate it. They think, you know, this is important and they'll be using it. So it is tough. It's like riding a bike, but the way, and then there are some patients who have severe sleep apnea, but they don't have no symptoms. And it's hard to convince those patients to use a uh, to use positive pressure therapy. The way I tell them, I say, hey, listen, you know, you have a blood pressure of 200 and you feel great. I still want to treat you. And this is not different than just taking a medications for your high blood pressure. Usually with moderate or severe sleep apnea, CPAP remains the main therapy. But there, you know, for mild sleep apnea, we have more options. You know, we can do weight loss. I mean, we should always, we, should, we do weight loss on everybody. Right. But, you know, we can try positional therapy, there are oral appliances, there are some things that, um, you know, there was something actually called Provent. Now, unfortunately, it got discontinued, but it, it was a really great thing. So there were like these two strips that you put on your nose and they had a, it had a one-way valve. So you would breathe in, but when you breathe out, it would just create a little bit of a pressure in your upper airways. Um there's a new device called Excite OSA where, where there's a device, if you put it on your tongue, you kind of train your tongue and your muscles, of your tongue muscles to become more rigid so it doesn't collapse as well. So for mild sleep apnea, we have treatments, we have alternatives. If you have moderate or severe sleep apnea, usually the main therapy becomes positive pressure therapy. There are a couple of yeah. other things like there's an Inspire, which is basically a pacemaker-like device, which has two wires that goes in your um, neck muscles. And when you activate them at night, it just kind of lifts up your jaw and makes these muscles rigid. So, you know, those are reserved for people who don't really tolerate, um, you know, positive pressure therapy. But Interesting. But but most of our patients, we recommend CPAP. Okay, so those who those who are hesitant, if you have mild disease, you know chances are you may not need it, or there's a possibility you may not need CPAP. So it's certainly recommended to get the sleep study. There, now there are a couple of things you said, Ali, that caught my interest. One was if you have no symptoms and you have sleep apnea, which is interesting to me because I, I wonder how that happens. And then the and the other is if someone just snores and you know has a very loud just snoring very loud should they should they automatically 
get a sleep study. So th- those two things, can you answer for us? Yeah. So if you're snoring, I mean, there, there, there should be suspicion, you know, there should be suspicion for sleep apnea. Now, so it's interesting because when we do a sleep study, you are allowed to stop breathing a little bit throughout the night. So there's something called AHI and you might, you know, if, if somebody goes to it, like pretty much all our patients know what their AHI is. AHI is measures the severity of sleep apnea. Um, anything less than five is mild. Now, so you are, so if I do a study on you and I say, Ravi, your AHI is four, that falls, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, AHI of less than five is normal in adults, okay? And I say your AHI is four, that's considered normal, okay? That's considered normal. So you're allowed to stop breathing a little bit. In children, it's not, you know, you're not allowed to. Uh, children, you know, should not even have, should, should not stop breathing at all. And we, we actually are seeing more and more patients with sleep apnea among children because, you know, the incidence of obesity is increasing in children. Um, and a lot of children, the attention deficit disorders that they have, it can be an underlying sleep apnea or bedwetting can be a, underlying sleep apnea that's that's not treated. Now there is this thing called mild sleep apnea. That's a little bit gray area. It's like from five to fifteen. If you start breathing five to fifteen, what do you do? So that's a kind of a gray area. Usually if you have no symptoms, we don't treat you. But if you have symptoms, obviously you we treat you. If you have like other cardiac conditions, um, the evidence is not as clear. Okay, but the guideline says if you have moderate sleep apnea, moderate is defined as AHI of 15 up to 30, or severe and AH and severe is defined as AHI more than 30, there is indication for treatment. So even if you say, hey, listen, I don't have any fatigue, I feel great in the morning, but if you have an AHI of 25, there is indication for treatment. Now, just like everything else, if some people have no symptoms, you know, some people they have severe degree of coronary artery disease and blockages in their arteries and they have no symptoms. So kind of, you know, um, kind of hard to tell, you know, predict who is going to have symptoms, but there's lots of people who are feeling so tired with even mild degree of sleep apnea. I saw this patient today and today I was actually like half a day, I was seeing patients for sleep clinic and he had a lot of symptoms of fatigue and um, not feeling well rested in the morning, and AHI was only nine. And you know, I see people with AHI of like eighty, and they don't have any symptoms. I mean, that, that I mean, that's clearly the unknowns of medicine. You know, why somebody, you know, why somebody uh, gets COVID and doesn't even feel it, and why a young person gets COVID and ends up in the ICU. So it's right. kind of the same concept. Yeah. Okay. So. So basically, to answer those questions, uh, you can be asymptomatic and still have sleep apnea, and you should treat it regardless. Um, and if you, yeah, if you have, have moderate or severe sleep apnea, you should treat it regardless. Moderate. Mild, it's a moderate little bit controversial. Yeah. Okay. And um, and then if you are snoring, you should get a sleep study. If you have s- severe snoring, you should get a sleep yeah. study. Yeah, I think snoring should be looked at because, you know, first snoring usually bothers significant others, you know. And right. Uh, but I mean, there, there are plenty of patients who just snore and they um, and they don't really have any sleep apnea. But there are treatments for their snoring as well. You know, there's oral appliances that can use. You know, the ENT surgeons they sometimes they do the 
uvuloplasty, you know, they just basically cut your uvula and uvula is the one that kind of, you know, when you're, it causes snoring, the vibration. So, I mean, it's a little bit painful, but it's great for snoring, takes care of the snoring. So, uh, you know, we, we talk to the, I mean, if you have snoring and you have no sleep apnea and you're, and it doesn't bother you, it doesn't bother your significant other, we, we don't do anything, but most of the times it bothers a significant other. Is, is this something that, bothered, you know, your, your guy's trip, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, I can't imagine how their significant others would sleep next yeah. to them, but they yeah. probably say the same thing about me. So it's, it, it, it goes, <laughs> it goes always. Is this like something that you should do just for general health and well-being? get a sleep study? I mean, as you get it to a certain age, does it make sense given that they're so easy yeah, and they're at I home? Mean, the indications are, I mean, the indications are not there. Basically the American task force does not recommend doing a sleep study on random people, but there are, you know, there are, things that we look at you know if you have high blood pressure you're tired you know your body mass index but just random people doing a sleep study on everybody like checking your cholesterol we don't advocate that but if there is indication for it you know we we advocate uh into it okay excellent and uh, just to end off i know you mentioned some of the cardiovascular consequences of sleep apnea but just you know given your cardiologist i I know you have an interest in these um, you mentioned hypertension, atrial fibrillation, um, coronary artery disease. What other things could you experience? At, um... Yeah, so you can actually exacerbate arrhythmias such as atrial fibrillation. So basically, what's happening in these episodes? If you have severe sleep apnea, so you go, you get a sleep. You know, you sleep. Okay. So what happens is that your, you know, you you basically you go through these cycles of choking episodes. So you choke, you know, then your oxygen level goes down. So these are actually significant stresses to your body. So your body continuously secretes these epinephrine and norepinephrine, which are these fight or flight hormones. Now, these are good hormones when, you know, your body secretes them in a, you know, fight or flight, you know, response. You know, if I'm like suddenly attacking you uh, with a gun, uh, yeah, your body is going to secrete these things because it wants to prepare you to fight me. But when you are trying to relax and your body continuously secretes these hormones at night, well, that's actually, you know, that's bad for your health. That has a, um, you know, that does not have a, a good effect on your cardiac structure. So, so these type of hormones, you know, when they continuously get secreted, they can increase your blood pressures. They can increase your um, incidence of heart failure exacerbation, they can increase incidence of arrhythmias. Um, but actually a really interesting study was done. You know, you know, there's a cardiologist from Mayo Clinic uh, and he's done a lot of sleep study, you know, sleep studies. Uh, I mean, a lot of research on sleep. So he, he actually measures your sympathetic nerve activity continuously throughout a 24 hour period. So these are, you know, so he basically puts a probe on your uh, one of your, um, I think, radial nerves. It just measures the electrical activity. And basically, you know, like at your baseline, you should, have, you know, like a baseline normal should be just kind of flat. And the people who had severe sleep apnea, they were, even during the day, their nerve activity was through the roof. And then mm. when they get started on CPAP, it just calms down and it just basically goes back to normal. So, so these Fight, you know, these fight or flight response hormones, epinephrine, norepinephrine, and so a lot of, you know, 
um, you know, and a lot of other types of hormones, they can actually, you know, increase your blood sugar, increase your cortisol level. And in the long run, they can have cardiac, they can affect your cardiac condition. That's very interesting. Um, because, you know, this is not only something that we experience during this condition, so obstructive sleep apnea, but also just in general life, many people are just have just constant baseline level of stress. Um, you know, they're constantly revved up. Um, and it just goes to show how important, you know, just mindfulness, relaxation, being centered, um, really dealing with those stressors, how important that is, not not just for your mental health, but also your physical well-being. No, absolutely, absolutely. You know, we um again, I mean, this happens, I mean, this happens to all of us. I mean, we just just the value of a good night's sleep cannot be emphasized. Um, right. Well, thank you, Ali. This was very helpful. And uh, you look like you had a good night's sleep last night. And I can tell just by looking at you, you look very rested and relaxed. Makes me feel good. Um, but thank you for sharing this with us. Uh, this was, it was a pleasure to be here. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. And if you did, please make sure to hit the subscribe and the like button and leave a comment about what you'd like to see on our future episodes. Just a reminder that this podcast is for educational purposes only, does not substitute for professional care, nor does it constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you're looking for medical care, please seek a qualified doctor or medical professional. For more information, or if you'd like to check out our programs, please visit our website, peakwellnesshealth.com. That's peakwellnesshealth.com.